This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. delve into all things Saints FC. Through the thick and thin, but mainly thin, we take a look at the goings-on in and around St Mary's, home of our beloved Southampton Football Club. Thankfully, after quite a little while, we can finally celebrate and reflect on another Premier League win for Saints. Alongside Steve Grant, Glenda LaCour and Dan Sheldon, we'll take a look back at Saturday's 2-0 win over Sheffield United, which, amongst other things, included a wonder strike from Shea Adams, the much-needed return of Carl Walker-Peters, a fantastic performance from a young Saints attacker and a century in charge for Ralph Hasenhutl. We'll also look ahead to what's coming this week, including briefly touching on Man City away on Wednesday evening and a little more focus on Brighton's visit to St Mary's next weekend. This episode of TSP will also include our latest March edition of International Supporters Club as we head stateside to talk to Alec Wise in Wisconsin. Look out for that later on. Ahead of sharing a TSP patron update, it's always nice to welcome the chaps along. Evening, guys. Evening. 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 I'm sure you always do that in the same order, but uh, there we go. Um, look, there's a, a fair bit to get through tonight, so we'll hold off on any slow cooker chat and ad-libbing intros, etc. But as mentioned, before TSP 153 does formally kick off, we're delighted to welcome our newest TSP patron via patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Eric Spang is his name, and he sent through a couple of great stories about his love affair with Saints earlier this week. One of them was around the fact that uh, he said he's uh, 62 years old and lives in Dunfermline in Scotland, so not too far away from me, Eric. He said, however, I've supported the Saints since I was nine years old. We were down visiting family friends in Hampshire in August 1968, and my dad took me to the Dow. It was the first game of the season, and Saints were playing Leeds United. In the first minute of the game, Terry Payne crossed the ball from the right, and it scraped off the top of Jack Charlton's head and beyond Gary Sprate's clutches and into the top corner of the net. The crowd went mad, and I was hooked. 
I currently get to about 10 games a season, although not this season, obviously. Normally away games in the north, but I try to get to St Mary's as often as I can, and sometimes the odd game in London if the flight works out. Every game I go to excites me, to be honest. The roller coaster just never stops, and I look forward to being a TSP patron. Obviously, Dunfermline isn't too far away, as I mentioned, Eric, so as uh, discussed, look forward to catching up for a chat about Saints over a beer when the pandemic is done. Equally as important, thank you so much for becoming a TSP patron. We really do appreciate the support. Okay, underpinned by our global TSP patrons, including Eric, this is TSP 153. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics Dan Sheldon. No, it wasn't a dream, folks. Saints won their first Premier League match in 10 games, sweeping aside Sheffield United 2-0 on Saturday. Dan, look, first things first, an important victory for Ralph and the lads. There was uh, a fair bit of pressure on them, despite, as we've seen, uh, you know, a few people saying it was just Sheffield United and they expected them to win, etc. But given our position in the league, it was uh, still very much job done. Absolutely. I think it was exactly what we'd all hoped for. I think it's going to sound negative, but I think the caveat should be in there that it is Sheffield United and they are this year's worst team or this season's worst team, I should say. But besides the point, Southampton still had to go out. They knew the pressure was on. They still had to perform uh, and they did that. There are so many positives. I think you mentioned most of them in your intro. Nathan Teller was really impressive. It was great having Walker Peters back. Diallo played 90 minutes, looked a bit rusty, but that's fine. He's back in the team and he made it through. The negative obviously is Danny Ings having to limp off, but Shea Adams is back, back amongst the goals and, spectacular fashion let's be honest so yeah all in all it was a it was a good Saturday Fulham winning today is a bit of a pain but so be it Southampton can look at the games coming up with kind of renewed optimism I'm not so sure about Wednesday's game maybe not be so optimistic about that one but beyond that there's a bit more a bit more hope and it was just so important for this run to come to an end it was it from my point of view from fans point of view from I'm sure the players and Ralph's point of view it was just becoming all in golfing, really. It was just a. It's been a, a, a crappy few weeks. So the fact that that's over, it's in the past, and hopefully we can all move forward. The players can move forward. Ralph can move forward, and the talks of winless runs are hopefully in the past now. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, it was uh, hard watching that uh, Liverpool game, wasn't it? Because obviously it was nice to see Liverpool's. Uh... Uh, winless run carrying on. Uh, it was nice to see a tonic like Lamina Aid score, but yeah, of course, Fulham winning wasn't ideal. It keeps the pressure on everyone, doesn't it, down there? But uh, Steve, I think we all knew, you know, that if Saints matched the Blades' effort and determination, then our quality would shine through. I think that's pretty much what you said in the pod last week, and in the end, that's exactly what happened. A, a really solid performance, and you know, arguably, as uh, we were just talking about before we started, it could have been five or six nil in the end. Yeah, I mean, the second half really opened up when and Sheffield United, a combination of getting, of being just being absolutely exhausted, having played with 10 men for, what, 35, 40 minutes on, uh, on Wednesday night, and us just kind of nailing the, the counter-attacking game. We, we sat, sat deep in exactly the way that we should sit deep, which is kind of a problem that we've, kind of an issue we've, we've developed as, as this season has, has progressed, is that we've got really bad at defending deep and sort of given up the wrong type of um, type of space in front of us, which is kind of kind of the the main the main reason why Man United got 
had so had so much time and space because we were we were marking the wrong bits of space and and that was I mean, just painfully exposed by sheer ruthlessness and I mean to, to be honest we could have as you say we could have had five or six ourselves in the end Minamino's Mister Mister Absolute Sitter from about six yards out Adams and and Redmond have both hit it straight at the keeper albeit from from an angle you probably wouldn't expect them to score from but they've at least they've at least worked the keeper Stewie Armstrong had that chance back across goal yeah yeah Armstrong had one and um Teller had one from distance as well so I mean I I don't I don't rate Aaron Ramsdale in the slightest but he earned his paycheck uh, yesterday and yeah I mean it was it was good good to see that there was a bit of energy about us again um we started the game well um, mainly through um, Teller getting booted up in the air on on our left wing every every 30 seconds. That was extraordinary uh, passenger play in the first 10 minutes or so. Where I think between Bogle and uh, Bulldog, I think Teller was fouled four or five times, and we didn't quite get the ball into the box right. And I do wonder whether how much we. I mean, clearly we work on these these set pieces, and yet Bertrand just has struggled with those for a while I, I feel and problem is we don't don't really have any other left footed options do we I don't no, think I mean, you're not, not anymore you're not going to put not going to put Vestergaard out there for <laughs> um, um, for goodness sake so it's yeah it's a tough one and it's you can understand why the idea is not to have Ward-Prowse on on ones that are that deep because I, I don't I don't think you really get the benefit of the of the in-swinger from when the free kicks 40 yards from goal I don't think that really works so I, th- I think they're I think they're right to try and persevere with it but I think just needs need some more need some more work I think but otherwise otherwise yeah very good yeah, and Glenn, look, there's several individuals I'd like us uh, to to sort of chat through over the the coming moments. Um, Shay Adams, Fraser Forster, Carl Walker Peters, and Ralph Hasenhutel. We're all going to discuss imminently. Um, but I want to start mm. with your GDLC Man of the Match, Nathan Teller. <laughs> you look at the the yeah. stats, Glenn. Um, 77 minutes played. He had five shots. He was fouled five times, including for the penalty. He drew two yellow cards for opponents and uh, 67% pass succession as well. But I think overall, Glenn, it was just the fact that it was a really encouraging enjoyable performance from him what i love about him is that he's so positive he just does he plays without fear and that's the you know nathan redmond's been copping a lot of flack recently and i I think he plays with a lot of fear in his game whereas teller's got none of that you know he just there was one bit where he was facing back towards our goal and he he basically booted it over his own shoulder turned around and chased it and he beat beat the player to it and i think he got fouled then as well you know that sort of positivity rather than just playing the safe option all the time that keeps defenders on their on their toes and yeah i thought i thought he had a superb game to be honest i wasn't calling for him to play as a striker to start with i thought it would be better off sticking minamino up there but this is why i'm not the manager and ralph is because like literally within within 2 minutes you could see what the plan was is that let's put get get in that channel between the two players that um, Steve mentioned, Bulldog and Bogle, who, neither of whom are the quickest, and Teller just ran them ragged, and they, they didn't know what to do with him. So it was a, I thought it was just a superb performance by him. He obviously now gets the chance to stay in the team with Danny Ings being injured, and you know the partnership with Adams when it, you know, before we scored when Adams came on, I thought for the first five five minutes it looked it looked kind of dodgy but we nothing was really sticking that's that was the problem but then when Diallo put that ball over and, and Teller ran onto it you think yeah you thought that well that you know there's always that option and and that that was a good ball and that that 
led to the penalty in the first goal. So yeah, I thought I thought Nathan Teller was excellent, and uh, he'll he'll get a run in the team now. I'd have thought. Indeed, yeah, I thought it was interesting, wasn't it? It was a, a bit of a long ball for the first goal, which we haven't seen much of with Saints over the years. So that was good to uh, see. I, I saw Nick Harris, who's uh, one of our patrons, and I, I know he enjoys listening to the pod. Had summed up the first half, I thought, very very cleverly. He said that it was uh, in summary was uh, Penn and Teller, which I thought was very clever. But uh, there we go. Um, Dan, moving on to Carl Walker Peters. Obviously, it was uh, good to have him back. Um, I think you can tell straight away, can't you, what a, a crucial part of, of our side he is these days. As far as I know, and I may be wrong here, I don't believe that we've won a Premier League game this season without him in the side. So great to see him back. And look, we don't need to necessarily do a, an in-depth analysis of his performance. But I think just more importantly, bringing a bit of security to that right back position and the overall defence. And quell surprise, you win the game, you get a clean sheet. Exactly. I think we've we've all individually waxed lyrical about Kyle Walker-Peters and Kyle's importance to, to Southampton this season. It's been, he's probably the one player that when he's absent, the whole, for some reason, the whole thing just doesn't look quite right when Kyle Walker-Peters doesn't play that, that obviously there's a serious lack of cover anyway in defence, but the whole defence has to be shifted across and Ralph has to, it's almost like guessing what he's going to do next because he tries, he tries one thing and that may not work. Then he has to try another player there. That doesn't quite work. In terms of the stability of the defence, it's so important having him there. But from an attacking point of view, now I, I was thinking, I put it in our WhatsApp group and I'm still upset no one came back to me, but about <laughs> um, Kyle and Yannick just almost tongue-in-cheek thinking, are they kind of you know Southampton's most important attacking players? Because Kyle adds so much going forward um, we don't we don't have we don't have like for like replacements do we that's the no that's no. the that's the ultimate thing and that probably makes him even more important i think had there if there was a suitable backup then you'd think okay it's fine kyle's out but we've got x but they don't have x at the moment but in just going forward quickly he adds so 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 much value the fullback is left with an option it's do we track kyle or do we follow Stuart armstrong and go and protect our other center half and nine times out of ten they protect they go towards Stuart Armstrong because they see him as a bigger threat. And that frees up space for Kyle down the right, which is exactly as Yannick Vestergaard described it to me when I, I spoke to him recently. So, yeah, all in all, so happy to see Kyle back. He's been, but alongside Vestergaard, Southampton's best player this season. So, yeah, great news going forward as well. Yeah, there, there's a clear comparison with the, the game, you know, the game before this one against Everton when we had Bednarek playing at right back. And, all, we, we had no attacking play whatsoever in that game, partly because Armstrong was in the centre of midfield and partly because we didn't have anyone going up the right-hand side. So there was there was no pressure on Everton on that side whatsoever. So, you know, it's, it's still a problem that we do only, as Steve said, we do only have one player who can play that role, unless you count Gineppo, who is as a bit of a bit of a random wildcard I mean, option. He did, he did all right Monday night, I thought, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he did, he did okay in the last half hour, but Everton weren't really attacking at that point, and he didn't have to do any defending. But um, yeah, Walker Peters just makes a huge difference in both directions. I was just going to apologise, Dan, that no one came back to you on the WhatsApp group, but to be honest, no one often comes back to me, so it's uh, the feeling's mutual, I think. But uh, there we no, go. No, we'll, we'll make sure I, mean, we... I send out tons of messages each day, and <laughs> you don't always get replies, so it's fine. <laughs> I know. And uh, Steve, look, I mean, Glenn just mentioned Shea Adams. I wanted us to obviously just touch on him because uh, you know the important thing I think with Danny Ings now out injured and obviously. Obviously, we wish him well with his recovery again. It's a shame to see him injured. Is that Shea's going to need to play an important part in the, the team over the coming weeks now if we're going to get the, the goals we need. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously he came on. He looked a little bit rusty first half, but then put himself around. And uh, 
ultimately, you know, had several chances alongside scoring an absolutely brilliant goal. Um, you know, probably going to match, I would imagine, Prousey's at Newcastle for goal of the season. I would think it will be uh, hard to, to sort of beat that incredible technique or technique, as I uh, called it on the Twitter earlier. But uh, yeah, what a strike! Yeah, it was um, yeah, about as, about as clean as you could hit it. I think I'd, I'd be be surprised if um, if he's if he's hit a harder shot from particularly from that sort of distance as well. I mean, Ram, Ramsdale had barely dived by the time it was already in the back of the net. And I don't know if you noticed, the bit I, I sort of liked most about the goal was, it was got actually... caught the stanchion. Yes. 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 The, the bottom of the net. Because yeah. for, for, some, for some strange reason, Premier League goals aren't actually... Um, the nets aren't actually pinned to the pinned to the um, ground anymore. They've got these these sort of rails, which for a lot of clubs they hide. And it basically, and I hate the nets at St Mary's. I mean, this is going off on a wild tangent, but <laughs> I hate, I hate the nets at St Mary's. They're they're far too tight, so the ball doesn't, the ball never nestles in the back of the net anymore. It always rolls around and then bounces back out again. To be fair, Steve, they're better than the ones at the Dow because that was like ridiculous. Well, uh, yeah, but um, I mean, it was it was only Mark Hughes that ever suffered for that. So therefore, I've, I've got, I'm I'm kind of less bothered about that uh, these days. <laughs> Um, we lost that game three 0 anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of Adams, Adams' overall performance, he's been well. The thing is, where he's not been playing an awful lot the last few weeks, he was good, he was always going to be rusty. And as a as a striker, I mean, any any professional footballer will say, well, you've you've got to be ready to come on at any given moment. But let's be honest, that's a load of nonsense. You you as in, as any substitute, you are never prepared to come on twelve minutes into a game. You, you're just you're just not expecting it. You'll you'll have trotted out you'll trot out for a warm up maybe 25 half an hour in just in case something happens. But realistically, you're not expecting to come on until at least half time. If and usually half time you'll be coming on if things are going particularly badly. And beyond that, it's you're looking at probably in, probably from the hour mark onwards. So it was I think it's it's understandable for any player that comes on that early to not look quite up to speed. And I think, to be honest, the same is kind of said for Diallo, who, I mean, first half looked all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. But then second half, presumably someone in the in the dressing room told him to, told him to liven up and, and kind of get his, get his head in the game. And, and then second half, he was absolutely fine. He I don't, was much better. Like, yeah, not sure, he, not sure he even misplaced one pass um, second half. So, uh, yeah, I don't think, don't think that's going to be... Uh, don't think that's going to be an issue going forwards. But yeah, Adam, Adams, Adams was fine. I think if Teller's going to play in the way that he has done, then I wonder whether we've got too much to worry about, really, until the next injury strikes, obviously. <laughs> That'll be it, won't it? But yeah, I've got to say the, the first uh, thought that I had was that Stuart Armstrong was offside and a brilliant goal was going to get ruled out, but thankfully that didn't happen. But uh, that's four in Shea's last three uh, games against the Blades that obviously he used to play for, so he clearly enjoys playing against them. But uh, Glenn, just uh, before we get on to briefly talking about Ralph, um, after the game I tweeted about Fraser Forster and uh, you know quite a few people I think agree with it, but quite a few people were sort of, well, he's not had a save to make when he's played for Saints yet and uh, it's only Sheffield United, that, that sort of term that we heard earlier on. But obviously Alex McCarthy's a really consistent goalkeeper and it feels you know good from a Saints point of view at the moment to have the sort of healthy competition between the two of them but I have to be honest when I've seen Fraser play this season and yesterday kind of summed it up for me and I just thought we should touch on it because I think he deserves it for a lot of the criticism myself lots of us have given him over the last few years you know his reading of the game is sort of keeper sweeping you could hear him shouting he was a little bit um, sort of dodgy with crosses on the first half but took uh, a couple of brilliant corners in the second half to take all the pressure off his kicking looked good right and left foot as well I, I appreciate it. I'm going to put the mockers on him ahead of Wednesday but just again coming in and looking assured and you know keeping a clean sheet that's the least he can do he 
has looked excellent. I think, I mean, this this may be a controversial statement. I don't know. Fraser Forster at his best is better than Alex McCarthy at his best. So I'd agree with that. That's, yeah. Um, I, yeah I, I, I'm struggling to see the controversy there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And he's more or less up to his best now. He hasn't had a great deal of you know, stuff to do in terms of saves. He will have went to hold, hold, hold my beer. <laughs> in, both the, yeah, in both the Everton game and the Sheffield United game, he made two very good saves low down that when, mm. we, were, when we, we were doing our static defending of free kicks. And in, in both cases, they were offside. So it didn't go down as saves, but he got down really well to make a save from Richarlison's header and from someone's header on the on no, Saturday. Goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so he just, he obviously is a massive unit and that's that's always been the, the sort of like biggest thing in his favour in the past. But he had this thing where he, he just became nailed to the goal line. And it's been amazing to watch the transformation, to see him suddenly appear. Oh, you know, every game's on the TV, so you suddenly see him appear on the side of the screen and think, what the bloody hell's he <laughs> doing there? Just not expecting header, to be yeah. there. But the most impressive thing was that he he even come off his line to get involved in the punch-up at the end, which was great. <laughs> it was like, I'm a big unit, I'll go and get involved in this and maybe give Ollie McBurney a slap he desperately deserves. Um, so, no, I, I no, no criticism of Fraser at all from that game. I, I thought he was excellent. And, uh, yeah, it, we'll see how he gets on. Um, when the when the shots start fading <laughs> exactly. in, which they know that Wednesday night. Like, yeah, yeah, he's going to be a busy lad, I think. But so uh, there we go. But no, I, I, yeah, I thought it was worth giving him a shot because I, I think he's done well uh, so far. And uh, Dan, look, just to finish on the the Sheffield United game, then um, obviously it was Ralph's 100th game in charge. So firstly, congratulations to him on that. It's the first time he's hit a uh, 100 games with uh, any of the clubs he's been in charge of. Um, Overall then, Dan, he's won 38 of those, he's drawn 22, he's lost 40, he's scored 136, we've uh, conceded 153, so he's got a 38% uh, win rate, that's across all competitions. All in all, Dan, what's your assessment been of the 100 games of Ralph? I think rollercoaster is the immediate uh, term that comes to mind. Yeah, I think Ralph described it best after the Sheffield game when he said up and down. <laughs> uh, I think there's, for as many ups as there's been, there's been some equally low downs. I think he's clearly a fantastic coach, that's been said a thousand times I, it's a shame the way the season has petered out in the way it has in terms of the injuries just kind of stopped any real momentum because I think Ralph truly believes that this Southampton team are a top 10 side um, they were good enough to finish in the top half but when they got these injuries and it was just week after week and then backups were getting injured and then players would come back and then another player would get injured as we saw with Danny Ings and it's just it's been a tough season as well. It's been a tough winter, should I say, for, for Southampton and Ralph. But he's he hasn't given up. I think he's done some things over the past few weeks which make you think, hang on, what, what's going on there? But no, you have to you have to give him credit. And I've I've written a piece on the Athletic. And normally when things go wrong, people close to players and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, you I mean, look what's going on at Newcastle. We just got to use Newcastle as, a, as an example. It's remained a really tight ship at Southampton and the players, they back Ralph 100%. And I think that's so important. And obviously the club back him, they gave him a, a big long-term deal. So 100 games, yeah, it's been full of ups and downs. I don't know, there's not much more to say than, you know, we don't want to sit here and wax lyrical about him all night because he obviously is fantastic. But yeah, here's to the next 100 games and hopefully they're 
they're more like the, the first half of this season as opposed to the last few weeks mm. I thought it was encouraging to hear him uh, talking about having enough energy for the next three years and uh, obviously some of his comments last week uh, around uh, what he hopes I think the club will do in the summer around investment which uh, that will be an interesting one to see what happens but uh, Steve from a fan's point of view look there's been a lot said and written about Ralph by Saints fans over the last few weeks um, a win obviously helps of course you know we all immediately have that positivity but your overall view I suppose from a, a fan uh, view on the job he's done and I suppose you know the, the long term with Ralph here you know still believing that he's very much the, the right guy to take us forward or not I do with with a slight caveat that we've really got to get ourselves out of going on these absolutely insane dips I mean we've we've all we've all remarked and we after both of the nine nils that most other managers would have automatically lost their jobs as a result the fact that we have stuck with him isn't necessarily an endorsement for him it's partially a a reflection of where we are as a club in terms of the, the structure and the financial situation and kind of a little bit of everything. So while I think overall he's done he's done a good job with a bit of a mishmash of a squad, I've seen like a few people on, on social media like the last week or two sort of saying, Oh, um uh, people have doesn't doesn't matter what Ralph Ralph does. Some people some people will be unable to find fault in him. I'm, I mean, I've, I've not actually seen anybody making actually making that argument. That's a, it's a bit straw manny for for uh, for my liking. But there are there are some people who don't apportion enough blame to to him when ultimately he's he's the guy picking the team. And there are and we've I mean, we've we've all picked out at various points over over those hundred games. We've all picked out selections or tactical decisions that or substitutions that have looked absolutely baffling and a lot of them have come to pass where our concerns have been have been valid obviously there are there are some where we where we end up being made to look um, absolutely ridiculous but at the end of the day he's he's not perfect but then if he was he wouldn't be our manager so yeah i mean he's at the moment he's the he's the right man going forwards we'll see what the the situation is in in the summer because obviously he's he's now saying that He's going to need a bigger squad for next season. I mean, where where's the money coming from for that? Mm-hmm. Uh, we shall we shall see on that one. We'll have to do a whip. If I if I may, just, yeah, I, mean, I may have it. misheard you, Steve. But the when you spoke about uh, after both the nine nils and the endorsements, I think the first one they certainly did back Ralph big time over that first nine nil. I think they could easily have. He wasn't on a big contract at that point. It was stiff. Well, it wasn't early on into the season, was it? It was October. The club's hierarchy went into the, the training ground the next day and basically sat down the players and said, look, he's staying. If any of you want to go, you can go, but the manager's staying. I mean, I think that's probably backing him to the top, really. And that's yeah. just my opinion. I think the first 9-0, they certainly did back him over the players and the players were told, look, he stays. If you want to go, go, but he isn't going anywhere. I think the second one, the second one was put down more to the mitigating stuff around it with, you know, with everything that had been going on with the injuries and stuff like that. But um, yeah, the first one, I'd say they uh, they backed him pretty strongly there. But the, I, I still come back to. It's interesting to see him quoting about the the, the squad that's needed for for next season. I don't care who your manager is. We've basically had no backup left back and no back up right back all season. Um, because he obviously didn't trust Valerie and, and Vokins because it was almost like he tried everything else rather than give those two a game. So well, ba- based on those two those two players' performances when they did get a game, you can kind of see why. Yeah, but that's that's a that's a problem, isn't it? And any manager would struggle with that if they didn't have a single backup for a 
for, for a particular League, then, yeah. yeah for for a particular position we've gone he, he kind of went down the road a little bit that Jurgen Klopp has gone down of you know weakening a second area of the team to patch up the first weak area and and mm. you know the, the, this this all added up and we we can't go into next season with that scenario you know the backups have got to be better you know so whether that comes down to the you know the guys who are in charge of the uh, you know the B team to you know make sure their players are more up to standard, or, or whether it's you know changes have to be made or players have to be brought in. But it would be very hard to expect him to go into next season with with that scenario with major weaknesses if we get one or two injuries. Hi, I'm Ricky Lambert, and you are listening to Total Saints podcast. Now, arguably our most enjoyable feature this season has been jetting around the world to hear from Saints fans in a number of different countries. Under the global SFC hashtag, the mutual love of Saints is what connects each and every one of us. In this March edition, we're heading to America, where we're so grateful to have had thousands of listens since TSP began in July 2017. Alec Wise, a Milwaukee-based Saint and one of the key contacts from a supporters group in the US, joined me earlier this week to go to the heart of all things Saints FC and USA. This is TSP's International Supporters Club. Total Saints Podcasts, International Supporters Club. Alec, firstly, thank you very much for joining this uh, March edition of International Supporters Club. We really do appreciate it. Um, Briefly tell us a little bit about where you're based in the United States, Alec, and how you got into following Saints. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, very northern part of the United States. Very cold, seven to eight months of the year, unfortunately. But um, I got into following Saints around 2011, 2012. It's a bizarre story. Uh, I wasn't a big football fan growing up, as many kids aren't in the United States, which that's changing and it's getting more popular. But um, one of my good friends brought over the game FIFA. Right. And I never played it, never really watched football growing up, and I got really into it. I enjoyed it a lot, got to know the players and stuff, and I wanted to start a career mode with a team from League One. Right. Because I wanted to bring a team from League One to the Prem. And I did research on every single League One team, and I came across a video of uh, Latis. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, Southampton it is. So... That was the year we went up from League One to the championship, and then obviously to the Prem after that. But I followed Saints on Twitter that year when we were in League One. I didn't follow too closely. Um, I would see the tweets on my timeline. That's about it. Um, I got into watching every match. Uh, I mean, when we got promoted to the uh, Prem, I remember opening match against Man City, Lambert coming off the bench to score. Yeah. Um, that's my first really vivid me- memory of Saints, but... I would say technically my fandom started back in like yeah, 2011, 2012, around there. Yeah. 2011, I think it was. Fantastic. No, brilliant stuff. And uh, maybe we can get you to talk about some of uh, the favorite games you've watched in a minute, Alec. But I know you've got a fantastic story about your, your first trip to St. Mary's and the, some of the people you met up with uh, around Southampton. I'm sure you know you and I could talk about this for hours and hours, but I'm not sure if there's a way that you can provide sort of a brief overview of that first trip over because it's a pretty cool story. I'll do my best to keep it brief. <laughs> um, so... It was April 2018. We were four points from safety with four matches to go. And our next match was Bournemouth at home. And that following fall, I was studying abroad. 
in uh, Canterbury in, in Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I was going to be able to go and see Saints play a lot in the near future, but I just wasn't sure if that was going to be a Premier League match. So I was sitting in class on a Tuesday, just kind of bored and just going through flights to random places. And I was like, you know what, how much would it cost to fly out to, to Southampton for the match this weekend? And obviously I found out, I mean, fly to Southampton, it's not direct, it's pretty mm-hmm. expensive. So I looked at flights from London, they're like $900, $950, and there was one for $300. And without even thinking, in the middle of class, not even knowing if I could get a ticket, I booked a flight for two days later <laughs> to fly out. So I yeah, flew out on Thursday night, um, landed Friday around, I want to say 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and then I left Sunday. So I was there for two days. <laughs> and I remember the first thing I did as soon as I got to Southampton, walked to St. Mary's, went to the stadium, uh, got a new kit for the to wear the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the match day itself, I tweeted at some people and asked recommendations. I ended up at the standing order. And first of all, I was just amazing how many Saints fans. I just um, that was amazing. I just yeah. never imagined I would actually be there. But I want to know when the players got to the stadium, because I also saw videos of players walking to the stadium and talking to supporters. And I saw this guy with red hair. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that's the perfect guy to ask. His hair has <laughs> died for the club. Yeah. Um, Mark, uh, Mad Marky on Twitter. So I went up to him, and I just started talking to him. Um, and he said, before the match wasn't really good, but after the match you can go talk to players. But, yeah, him and his group of friends – Sat, had beers with them for about hour, hour and a half at standing order, and then we walked to the, walked to St. Mary's, showed me around the ground, showed me everything, introduced me to so many people, and he actually tweeted out a picture of me at standing order, saying this is Alec from America, like welcome him, and people were coming up to me around the stadium, like, <laughs> oh you're Alec, I saw you on Twitter, and it, I mean it was awesome, I felt so welcomed, I felt <laughs> cool, yeah. Yeah, coming in, I was almost worried that the experience would not live up to my expectations, and it would almost, in a weird about way, make me care less about the club. Yeah. But it ended up being the exact opposite. I mean, it was just an incredible experience, and it just made my love for the club that much deeper. Um, we, yeah, we ended up going on to win. Um, Tadic had a brace, you know, 2-1. Mm-hmm. And then after the match, um, Mark introduced me to Claire, and Claire – brought me around to the players' parking lot, and I was able to meet all the players. Um, and she made sure every player that came came by is like, he flew all the way from America. He's only been here. He's only going to be here for two days. He came just for the match so that they would all kind of stop and talk to me. Yeah. And the players are all great, um, like Ori Romeo, Charlie Austin, James Ward-Prowse, Nathan Redmond. Off the top of my head, those are the four I probably had the longest conversations with that day. Yeah. Um. Actually, and then Sam McQueen actually gave me his warm-up and signed it, which was awesome. Oh, bro, yeah. But, yeah, I just – coming in, I was hoping to go to the match, enjoy the day. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't even hopeful for a win at that point. I was hoping they would score a goal so I'd experience that. And sure enough, they won and then ended up staying up uh, after that big win at Swansea. So, mm, yeah, it was an sorry. incredible experience, and I wish I could relive that over again. It was yeah. just amazing. No, brilliant. It's a yeah, incredible story, and I think it probably epitomizes the – the sort of Saints family feel like it. Just out of interest, because uh, I think it would be good to give everyone a bit of a perception. So how old were you then? I would have been 23. I mean, yeah, pretty cool to, to travel on your own at 23 
to someone you don't really know and uh, people you don't really know and all that sort of thing. But yeah, brilliant. And I think most importantly, even better, I do remember the game as you say that uh, Saints won, and uh, obviously uh, good to, good to see them win on your first game. And I know you mentioned earlier, Alec, the memories of Ricky scoring up at uh, Man City. Um, some of the other games that you've maybe watched, not in person, but maybe sort of stick in the mind over the the last sort of ten years or so then since you've been following them. Um, the two that come to mind right away, uh, Liverpool was at March 2016, I think, um, when we went down 2-0, and then Mane came off the bench, missed the pen, yeah. and then scored, and then Graziano scored, and then Mane had the winner to win 3-2 with Ronald <laughs> racing down the touchline to celebrate. Yeah. Um, that one sticks out in memory just because, for some reason, when they went down 2-0, and then I think somebody – it might have been Joe Allen scored to make it 3-0, but it was ruled off sides. And when that happened, I just had a weird feeling. We're going to come back and win this. <laughs> and when that third goal went in, I yelled so loud that um, my dad actually ran downstairs and yelled at me because he said, your sisters are still sleeping. you got to be quiet. <laughs> but I, I, I remember telling him, sorry, I'm not going to be quiet. They were down 2-0 to Liverpool and just came back and won 3-2. So, <laughs> yeah. um, that was, yeah, that was an incredible day. And then the other one that sticks out was uh, – the 1-0 at Swansea to stay up. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I had had a, a final exam like a half hour before the match. Yeah. And I told myself, no matter how hard this is, you, you're done in a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I raced through that exam as fast as I could. Actually did well. I'll throw that in there. Um, <laughs> and went down to the pub with one of my buddies. Um, also, I've converted him to a Saints fan now. Good um, man. Good man. And I remember Gabini scoring. And I didn't know what to do, so I just jumped up on the bar and started <laughs> going crazy. Okay. And then that whole night, I just I wore my Southampton. I went to a Milwaukee Brewers, our local baseball yeah, yeah. team. I went to their match that night, and I wore my Saints stuff. Didn't even bother wearing Brewers stuff. I was just so proud after that that yeah. we were staying in the Premier League. So, yeah, those are the two that stick out in my head. Amazing, right amazing. Uh, brilliant stories. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get on to sort of the current team in a minute, Alec. But just briefly as well, some of the players that maybe uh, you mentioned sort of four or five that you met. Uh, you mentioned Ricky. Is there any others that, uh, Sally and Manny, you've mentioned? Any others that sort of stick in the memory that you've really enjoyed watching? I mean, that's quite a list already. Ricky Lambert a little bit. Uh, his and our, during our, our rise from League One to the Prem, I didn't really get to watch those matches. I would see on Twitter how well he was doing, and both in League One and the Championship, and how much he was scoring. So, I mean, I want to say he's one of my more favorite players, but my favorite player the first year I started watching every match was Nathaniel Klein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, when Mane came in, he kind of joined that list. And then third one, I don't like him so much anymore, but Virgil van Dyke. Yeah. Um, I remember when we were linked with him, I showed one of my friends one of his highlight videos from uh, when he was at Celtic. I was like, this guy's going to be incredible. But we need to get him. And then when we actually got him, and obviously he's turned out to be that good. Yeah. But um, those are the three kind of older players that aren't on Saints anymore that kind of stick out in my mind, Klein, Mane, and van Dyke. Pretty good three, yeah. No, brilliant. And, uh, look, I mean, obviously it's uh, a tough run at the moment. Um, we're recording ahead of the Sheffield United game. We're keeping our fingers crossed that that's going to go well and we can pop you in the pod at the weekend after that game, Alec. But what are you kind of making of Saints at the moment with uh, with Ralph and the team? Obviously, yeah, really tough stretch. Um, from where we were, I think... I mean, I was top of the table in November. Then after that Liverpool match, it's either four or six points off top of the table. Mm. And to be you now seven points from the relegation zone, mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, it's been tough. I mean, injuries have not helped um, having to play players out of position. I'm hopeful for this weekend. I mean, it seems like Diallo should be back. I mean, Minamino will be back. Hopefully KWP will be back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's been our biggest miss is having to throw Benaric out on the right. Um, it's just he's, he's not suited to playing out there. And it's not his fault. It's just um, having KWP out there helps a lot, both yeah. defensively and attacking. So I think now that we're getting close to healthy again, barring I mean, Walcott Mayo is out for the year, uh, I think we can turn things around. I think it'll take one win to kind of spark things and turn it around. It just <laughs> when that win comes, as of now. Indeed. And what about Ralph? I mean, there's a lot of chat in the fan base about Ralph at the moment, the, the, the positive ones, the maybe the more critical ones. I think we've all got a bit of opinion. But are you a, a Ralph fan, Alec, or do you feel like he's uh, on a bit of borrowed time at the moment? Uh, I'm a Ralph fan overall. I mean, I don't think with any other manager that's available right now, we would have been top of the table in November and off that such a hot start. But given that, I think he's also partially at fault for the kind of the bad uh, stretch of form here. Mm-hmm. Just um, playing players out of position. I mean, especially Bednarka right back. I mean, that's shown that hasn't worked and not trying something new. Yeah. I mean, overall, I'm still – I still support Ralph. I mean, if this run goes on in a few weeks, we'll see where I'm at. But overall, I'm leaning Ralph in because I don't know if there's anyone better out there right now. Yeah, I think that's a sensible point. And uh, just uh, before we get on to talking about the supporters group, which is obviously uh, the more – uh, significant part of this conversation, I guess. Um, one or two players in the current squad that you know you enjoy watching, despite the the tough run, the ones that sort of get you on the edge of the seat, maybe. I'm gonna throw two easy ones out there for you. Ings, Ward Prowse, um, just Ings' finishing ability, um, just, just touches in close space to create shots. Sometimes it just impresses me a lot. Um, Ward Prowse on set pieces, whether it be corners or direct free kick. Yeah. And then I'm gonna throw two players have been struggling that enjoy watching on their day. Nathan Redmond, um, I mean, he's been struggling most this year. Yeah. But he had a stretch when Ralph first came in, that second half of the 2018-2019 season, and then moments last year where, I mean, on his day when he's direct and he's attacking, I mean, I think he's very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that sticks out in my mind is that uh, counter tackle against Tottenham in the FA Cup yeah. last year to go up 2-1, um, Reed beat three, four players, and slid through to Ings, who curled in the corner. Yeah. Um, I, and I think uh, Stuart Armstrong's kind of taken on that role since Brendan's been struggling. Um, he's really been taking on players, uh, getting out to defense a little bit lately, and that's been a joy to watch. And then the other player struggling right now is Shea. Um, I mean, Shea's finishing ability has always been kind of suspect, but his passing, I mean, mm. two of them stick out in my mind is that Passed the Walcott against Wolves, um, across the, for Walcott and Tappen, and then another pass the, um, Walcott against Arsenal that put Walcott through on goal. Um, I think Shea's passing for strikers is very good when he's in, on form, but yeah, I, I do enjoy watching Shea play when he's playing well. I mean, he's been struggling lately, but beginning of the year, I just had a blast watching him play. Look, we'll come on to talk about the social media handles in a minute where everyone can find everything, but, in a nutshell then, Alec, tell us a little bit about your Saints supporters group over there in the States, you know, how and when it started, how many people are in it, and that sort of thing. All right, so um, my page that I own is the United Saints of America um, on Twitter. It's uh, at SaintsFCUSA. Yep. I started that after my first trip over there, um, sort of in summer of 2018, before my time studying abroad. 
we have like 1,400 followers, I want to say, around there. Yep. Um, around 300 of those are actually from the U.S. And what I have done is I keep an Excel spreadsheet of United States fans in the U.S. and where they're located. So that if people from abroad come here and reach out like, oh, I want to watch the match somewhere. Do you know anybody in the area? Or even just linking up Saints fans in the area that they don't yeah. know about. Um, yeah, I have about 150 people in that list. Cool. That's been actually really nice to be able to connect people with other Saints fans in their area. And then I'm also an admin on the United States of Southampton FC Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not too active on that, um, so I don't want to take credit for anything there. Um, that is uh, about, I think, over 4,000 likes and followers. So, I, I mean, I'm an admin. I see everything that's posted. I occasionally post something there, but I'm more of a almost like a viewer, a fan for that page as well. Yeah. But that's our other United States um, outlet, which is on Facebook. And uh, look, I know we were talking just before we started here, of course, the pandemic's obviously been a, a real um, sort of uh, frustration for all of us around the world. But how do you guys tend to keep in touch? Because you certainly mentioned before we started on there that when you're able to, you try and meet up for once a year or so. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so once once a year, we coordinated a United States-wide um, Southampton meetup. It was in New York two years ago, and then last year was supposed to be in Chicago. That's right. But it was in April, so it got canceled because that's right when COVID kind of started. That's like our main meetup. Um, there's, I mean, other smaller meetups that go go around uh, in the U.S. Like in Milwaukee, we have, uh, I know of um, five supporters in the area. So we meet up. We try to meet up for every match, but if not, whenever we can. Um, and then there's uh, a few people down in Chicago, which is about, like, by drive. It's only like an hour and a half drive from Milwaukee. And then a few people over in Ohio, which is, Midwest, United States, in the same area. Um, we have a smaller group out of us that we try to meet up in Chicago once a year, um, just our group. Yeah. I mean, other than that, staying in touch just through Twitter, Facebook, and then we even have a, a United States uh, Saints uh, group chat for people who have iPhones. So oh, cool. if anybody would like to join that, they can reach out to me, and I'll get them involved there just so we can have somebody to talk Saints about whenever we want uh, throughout the week, just send a text to the group and see how they feel about what's going on or whatever the rumor, latest rumor is. And it's actually very nice to be able to talk Saints with our Saints supporters in the area because a lot of people don't have that. Like before I went to the first match, I felt like I was alone in my fandom, and now I kind of feel yeah. more connected with people throughout the U.S. and, and England as well. Yeah, and uh, I know a um, friend of the show, Joe prince Wright, of course, uh, has been on quite a bit. He works for NBC Sports. We know uh, mm-hmm. that they're a fantastic provider of Premier League um, sort of material and uh, productions over there. So we know that uh, there's good coverage. But I, I think Milwaukee, and I appreciate the times are all over the place with clocks going backwards and forwards in the next coming weeks, but I think you guys are about six hours behind London, aren't you? So um, what, what's it like in terms of trying to keep up with the games? I know, for example... Matt over in California, bless him, he's getting up at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning sometimes for lunchtime. Yeah. But is it is it sort of tough sometimes to try and get to watch the games, or does it generally seem to work out that it's a fairly reasonable hour? It works out 99% of the time, especially in my time zone. Um, because the earliest match you'll see is normally 6 a.m. for me. Yeah. Oh uh, Yeah, poor, <laughs> poor West Coast, you get some 4 a.m. kickoffs there. Um, that's... Whew, can't even imagine doing that, but <laughs> especially at the moment. But yes, yeah, true. But um, I mean, for a lot of people, I know like 6 a.m. There's no pub open in the area or anything like that, so you have to watch at home. 
but I'm actually lucky that there's about five minute walk from my place. Um, there is a football pub that if I text the owner the day before and say, Hey, Saints play 6 a.m. tomorrow. Can you open? They will open for me, which is awesome. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, most Premier League matches, or actually all Premier League matches are either on, uh, NBCSN, which is the, uh, sports, uh, network for NBC or on Peacock, which is, uh, the NBC streaming service. Right. Um, so through those two, I get 100% of the Premier League matches. And then FA Cup and, uh, the Carabao Cup are normally on ESPN Plus. So most of those matches are available to us over in the U.S. as well. The only match this year that wasn't available through streaming or on TV in the U.S. was the Brentford match right, in the, the Cup. Right, the Cup game, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was the uh, that was the only one. Every other match has been, through some streaming service or another, has been available to watch. That was probably a blessing anyway, Alec, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, I, but... Found, I found a stream, so, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> no, cool, all right. Yeah, an illegal one, but... <laughs> yeah, just quickly add that in there, but uh, um, cool. Just last couple of questions, then, just before we finish up. Yeah, the club are always trying to do what they can to support Fable supporters and try and make you all feel, quite rightly so, you know, part of the club with the uh, material that comes out from state board and Samaris and things like that. But from you and sort of the feedback and your mates and the guys you speak to, is there, is there anything they can do better to kind of help you and your group, Alec? Or is there anything they're doing particularly well, maybe? Off the top of my head, nothing too crazy for to do better. Um, I mean, one thing that would be awesome for us is obviously a preseason trip here. Because they did have that one preseason yeah, trip came here. Yeah, Armour, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, was that four or five years ago now? Something but like that. But I'm not even sure. I know the matches were played behind closed doors when they did that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, if I could have, I would have made the trip over to Maryland to um, – watch them but i wasn't able to so i mean if they could do that in the near future that'd be awesome but with covid that's gonna be a long time so nothing i can like ask for there um two things that i think they do a good job with first one it's not just us any um other support groups around the world is just tweeting out um holidays um i remember on fourth of july our independence day last year they tweeted out like to all of our american supporters happy independence day like mm-hmm. stuff like that, just to make you feel like they're thinking about you, and like you're part of the club. So they, I think they do a very good job with that, kind of connecting with uh, sports groups worldwide. Yeah. And then the other thing is with match day tickets. Um. So that first Bournemouth match I went to, I did not have the uh, criteria to get a ticket. Uh, it, you had to be a season ticket holder for like five, six years or something like mm-hmm. that. And, but if you tell them I am coming over from the United States, I'm, I'm going to be there, they will make sure that you get a ticket. And I think they do a very good job accommodating um, foreign supporters in that way, knowing that obviously they're not going to have that purchase history to yeah. qualify for many games, but they'll get you a spot in St. Mary's and I think they, that's a very good thing that they do. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Just finally then, uh, we're very grateful to get a lot of uh, cool American listeners. Um, I'm sure lots of them will already be in your group or connected to various groups within the, the states. But just as a reminder, Alec, just for, for Twitter and Facebook, where can they find your groups that you were talking about earlier again? Yes. Um, so on Twitter, United Saints of America. It's at Saints FC USA. And then Facebook is United States of Southampton FC. Uh, Southampton FC is one word, and the at for that is also Saints FC USA. 
Brilliant. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Alec. And I, I think, you know, you are the epitome of what Southampton Football Club is. It's about finding fans around the world that are just as passionate as people, you know, that are lucky enough to be born in the city and things like that. So, you know, fantastic to, to hear your stories. Thanks so much for sharing them. Keep flying that red and white flag over there in uh, Milwaukee and look forward to catching up with you soon, eh? Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Big thanks again to Alec for his time and joining the pod. What a brilliant Saints fan. Okay, to finish the podcast this week, a look ahead to Saints' two upcoming games during the next seven days. Wednesday's trip to Manchester City, Joy, then next Sunday's home fixture with Brighton. Glenn, I have to be honest, obviously uh, I know City have lost today to Man United, but they had won 21 games in a row in all competitions before that. So we'll probably keep this preview fairly short because it's obviously going to be a tough uh, day at the office for Saints. But any chance that we can get anything positive from the game? No. No, no. You can never predict that we'll get anything from from this game. They, you know, they're so good. Yeah, they've had a blip today. They they have a they have a blind spot about playing Man United at home, don't they? Them. They they always seem to get turned over by them, um, even if everything is stacked in their favour. Like you know, United have been terrible recently. City have been brilliant, and they still managed to throw it today. They got so many good players. Again, you look down the bench today. And it's crazy. He's um, so, for us, clearly. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. But um, you know, Foden was on the bench, and and um, you know, so many. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just mental the number of players they've got and the, the style of football they play. They're, they're the only team that I make an effort to watch out, out of the rest of the Premier League. They're that, they're that good to watch. You know, very good team. It'd be interesting to see how we approach it. I know the last couple of home games we've, we've. Um, you know we've done reasonably well. Touch wood, we we haven't been smashed by them in the way that we can be smashed by other teams. So I, I think we'll go. Hopefully we'll give a good account of ourselves. But I think uh, expecting us to get anything out of it is a is a bridge too far. Yeah, and Dan, obviously as Glenn rightly says, there. I mean they're a fabulous side, and uh, you know I, I suppose the fear for Saints is you don't know whether it's a positive to go out there, Dan, and sort of think well they've lost the the last game, confidence might be a little bit low, or the opposite of that, you know you're facing a wounded animal. And I mean I think even today they had 22, 23 shots. So again, you know if they can create that against Man United, you can guarantee they're going to create quite a few chances against us. Yeah, it's going to. Be... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much more I can add to what Glenn's already said. To be honest, it's going to be such a difficult difficult match it's uh, if they could have lost 4-0 5-0 today and they still would have I still would have fancied them to to bounce back and probably hand out a bit of a similar beating against Southampton but don't as Glenn said Southampton have had a decent decent record against them but they just look I mean Ralph spoke about after the Sheffield game about maybe resting players here and there and when you look at when City rest players and who they bring in it's just in, it's ridiculous. I think City's bench would start for Southampton. The entire bench would walk into Southampton's team. They're that good. And I think Pep deserves so much credit. I think he really does. He's such a he's obviously a fantastic manager. But 12 months ago, it was Pep's Pep's finish with City. He can't he can't renew this team now. He's he's hit the end of the road. We've seen this happen at Barca, Bayern. It's happening at City. The way he's kind of reinvented that team and himself to a certain extent I think they're playing very intelligently this season more intelligently than any other every other team which is why they're top it's just been absolutely marvellous to see marvel I yeah they're they're just brilliant aren't they and I hate this whole last year Liverpool were the best Premier League team we've ever seen this year it seems to be Man City it's all just nonsense just enjoy it for what it is and they are just 
wonderful to watch, brilliant to watch. Indeed. Uh, Steve, I'm trying to look for positives here. Um, if we look at our last two games between us and Man City, it's a 50% win rate each, so that's what I'm going to go with. But uh, I think the, the problem is, Steve, isn't it? And you know, this is probably the last question before we do our predictions, because I think we could spend 20 minutes, but I think every Saints fan listening to this is intelligent enough to know it's going to be a very, very tough night at the office. And the thing for Saints, Steve, is that they could battle with all their heart and commitment and all that sort of thing and still potentially lose by 4-5-6. I'm not trying to be pessimistic here. I'm just trying to be realistic. Yeah, I mean the the golf in the golf in resources and the golf in what they have available in terms of the players is I mean it's just light years apart and I mean theoretically that should be the same when we play against any of the any of the big sides but City have City have spent incredibly wisely I mean it's it's weird that everyone was like a year ago everyone was saying oh Rod, Rodri's a load Rod, Rodri's a load of rubbish City have wasted sixty million quid on him they've got they're bigger problems in their team that, that need fixing and they've not fixed it. And yet all of a sudden Rodri now is looking absolutely perfect for that team. It's just, yeah, shock, shock horror. Foreign, foreign player comes to the Premier League and needs a bit of time to adjust. Who, who knew? And it, I mean, it, it doesn't make any difference whether, whether you cost 5 million or 55 million. It's, it's still, you're still, you're still talking about uh, a human individual there. It's, there are, there are intangibles that, that get in the way for people. And I mean, City came, came up against an absolute juggernaut with Liverpool last season. Um, and indeed the year before, but they obviously just picked them to the title the year before. And I mean, they're, they're, they're just relentless. And they've, and as, as mentioned already, the the depth of squad that they've got means that they're perfectly capable of fighting on all four fronts in every every competition. They're going to be competitive regardless of which which team they put out. I mean, they put put out a B team that would. I mean, City's second eleven would probably qualify for Europe com- comfortably, and that's that's the that's the gulf you're dealing with. I think the only the only club whose depth comes anywhere near is actually Chelsea, but they've been spectacularly badly managed from a from a playing perspective, playing perspective over the last couple of years, that they they're not in, they don't get anywhere near their potential. I think um, Tuchel might get them somewhere near it. With I think I think they probably they probably probably need another another fullback and another centre back. But other than, once once they've got those those there, they'll be they'll be challenging as well. But City are going to be there or thereabouts for. However many years people retain interest, that, and, and genuinely that that is that is going to be the biggest problem, because where we've had this year of nobody being able to go to games, there is a tangible sense that a lot of people aren't going back because they found that people have found something better to do, and watching the game on TV isn't the same. I quite enjoyed it at the start of lockdown when, well, at the start of the restart. Back in the summer, when you could watch it with um, without the crowd, without the fake crowd noise, and listen for once to to hear what is shouted between the players and the coaching staff and all that. But now I'm bored of that because what they shout is actually no different to what you or I shout on a Sunday morning. It's just they're better at it. And kind of watching this this soulless thing with with no no atmosphere is is boring. And you do wonder whether having a team that is as dominant both on and off the pitch as City are at the moment is going to make it even worse and is going to kind of exaggerate that situation and, and force more people to just say, no, nah, I'm done with this. Um, can't be bothered. Yeah. Well, let's do some match predictions and then we can swiftly move on to uh, the Brighton game. Um, Dan, let's start with you. I, I, I'm not sure that this is going to be a particularly pleasant view. You might want to skip the next two minutes. <laughs> um 
oh, I don't know. It, it could be like cricket, couldn't it? Um, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> four, four nil. Four nil. All right. I'm going to jump in there because that's what I've gone for as well, Dan. I am fearing the worst, but um, hopefully, uh, you know, be moderately respectable. And you never know if I go for four nil, it could be anything. Can hopefully it'll be a bit uh, less than that. But I had written down four nil here. Um, Glenn, what do you reckon? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we. You know, do you play Carl Walker Peters in this game? Bearing in mind what happened to him the last time he played two games in three days. I don't know. Um, so maybe, maybe that's something we'll look at. Um, Sterling always scores against us though, so you almost think, well, actually, would it be better to have him there trying to nullify well, He's not that scoring front? against anybody else at the moment, is no, he? No, but yeah. he always scores against us, Steve. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. I'm going to be relati- relatively optimistic and predict <laughs> that we'll get beat 2-1. 2-1. All right, great. And I'll come on to the uh, Sheffield United predictions and the Prediction League uh, when we get to Brighton Glen, because it didn't slip my attention. But uh, Steve, what oh, about I'm you? Oh, I'm going to mention it. Okay. <laughs> Steve, what do you reckon, just to finish off? Um, well, I think as long as, long as we don't um, fare as badly as Pompey did yesterday in their first half, then um, then I think we'll, we'll probably be relatively, Up the relative, relatively satisfied. Um, <laughs> it's a tenuous link, but it's a good one. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll take I mean, it. <laughs> Had had to shoehorn it in somewhere. Oh, yeah. um, I think three one. Three one last um, I, th- I, th- I think we'll score. Yeah. Because I think City City will basically do their usual thing of just get, just trying to come out like all guns blazing. They'll have their overlapping and underlapping full full backs and centre backs who want to go everywhere, and we'll we'll find we'll find a way through at some point. They'll 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 relax and that will give it that will give us an out. Indeed, I almost thought about quoting the uh, Northampton score at half-time yesterday saying we want nine, but then I thought karma would mean that they probably won 5-4 and Sheffield United would beat us, so I held off doing that, but uh, there we go. I, I, but... We want ten. <laughs> there we go. Look, once that match at the Etihad is out of the way, Saints can focus on a run of very winnable fixtures during the next few weeks. That run starts with Brighton at St Mary's on Mother's Day, the 14th of March, so a quick reminder for anyone that's forgotten Mother's Day, it's next Sunday. Glenn, what have you made of Brighton this season in general? That's an interesting question, I think. Um, I think they've been quite funny. To be honest, I thought their their buying policy at the start of the year when they they basically signed Lalana and Welbeck, I, I thought that was ridiculous, and and so it's been proved they they have they play some nice football between the two penalty areas, and then they get to the penalty area and they're relying on Neil Mopay still, who is kind of an average striker. They don't really have anything, um, as you know. I love I love my stats and H- XG and all that crap, um, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, they're the kings of XG, apparently, and yeah. you don't get you don't get any points or goals for that. So <laughs> that um, that kind of is you know, all I've got to say about Brighton. As a defensively, they always seem to cough something up and and give you a chance to score a goal, usually from a set piece. Yeah, usually from a set piece, despite having about four guys who are as tall as lamp as lighthouses. Um, <laughs> and what's happened to Tarek Lamptey? Is he injured? Or yes, he is. He's probably back to school on Monday, isn't he? Um, <laughs> but, it's, uh, but yeah, uh, Brighton are, uh, the, you know, we were moaning a little bit about Fulham getting that win at Liverpool. It, it's, um, it's, that's crisis time for Brighton and Newcastle. But Brighton, I think, I think Brighton were kind of milling along thinking, well, we won't get dragged into it because there's those three teams down the bottom who, who are, who are really rubbish. But, you know, Brighton have got, Brighton have got to score some goals. And, and as far as we're concerned, it's a, it's a game that, like the Sheffield United game, it, it's, you know, win that and we will virtually be over the line. So it, it, it's a game that we, we have to go and uh, and look to win. Though there might be some pain along the way, if, you know, whilst they 
they keep the ball and create chances but hopefully they'll keep missing and um, we'll take advantage yeah and Dan that's the motivation isn't it for Saints really I don't want to say that it's probably one more win to stay up because that would be a bit naive but you know, almost that they can come back to some areas with their, you know, their their tail hopefully still in a, a positive manner, having won at Sheffield United. But I was going to ask you, Dan, whether that that win for Fulham today up at Liverpool puts a bit more pressure on this game for both sides, because again, you know, you win it, and it's almost like you are effectively dragging yourself clear of it, aren't you? And Brighton will probably feel the same. I think, I think so. Yeah. If if Southampton win, then it, it, apart from the FA Cup, this season is almost over. Uh, it's I think even privately, I, before the Sheffield win, you're probably looking at one or two more wins and they knew that they'd be OK. Ralph said, didn't he? 30 points, you're relegated. He didn't say this bit, but 36 points is enough to keep you up. And I think it probably will be. Yeah, it, as, as one of the guys, as, it, as, it was, as was just mentioned, I think Fulham's win today, although a hindrance, probably does bother Newcastle and Brighton more than it should Southampton. Brighton are a, a really weird team. Really, I, I I don't know. I I find the kind of the the fanfare over Graham Potter really bizarre. I I, I mean, when they handed him that massive contract, I thought, what the hell are you doing? He, I just, I just don't think he's that good. And now they're in a situation where they're probably stuck with him because I don't know what it would cost to get rid of him. But yeah, strange club. I don't want to see them go down. But being without Lamperty, who's probably well, been their best the, player, the away game is guaranteed three points, isn't it? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. But it's a much more difficult game for Brighton than it should be for for Southampton for the reasons Glenn mentioned they they don't really have any strikers uh, and again it will come down to if Southampton can match their work rate and their their character whatever then the players on the Southampton have on the pitch should be good enough to, to beat Brighton and just on them then Steve just to, to finish um, they've only won five of their 27 Premier League games so far in 2021 so only the bottom two now because um, Fulham have drawn level on that uh, have uh, won less um, only Fulham have drawn more actually so they've drawn 11 of their games Brighton so it is that sort of um, fine line I suppose between as Glenn said trying to get the goals to, to get them wins but the challenge is you know even though they are um, maybe lacking a bit of confidence at the moment, they can still be quite tough to to break down. And you kind of get the feeling they'll come to some areas and sort of sit in and frustrate us. And that's always been our Achilles heel, trying to break those sides down, hasn't it? It has, but actually I don't think they'll try and do that. I think their their way of playing is to be quite open and, and free-flowing. And they will they will, in their minds, they will think that they can just out-football us, which, I mean, through through the midfield with their nice little pretty triangles that go nowhere... Maybe they can, but so far this season they've demonstrated that they can't put the ball in the back of the net and they can't keep him out at the other end. And they make insanely stupid defensive mistakes all the time. And yeah, I mean, I'm 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 kind of with Glenn on not quite. Well, in fact, with um, with everybody, not quite getting the um, the Grand Potter hype. I mean, yeah, Brighton player. It's it's nicer on the eye to watch their games. But I mean, to be honest, the main entertainment comes with the the sort of what, trying trying to predict how they're going to screw this game up um, at any given moment because they do it every time. That Leicester game last night, they were they were they were comfortably in charge. Leicester were absolutely diabolical for about 75 minutes of that game, and yet you knew as soon as Leicester got that equaliser, you knew who you knew what was what was going to happen in that game. Um, you knew Leicester. Were, going to find find a way of winning and sure enough corner comes in keeper comes charging out as if he's pretending to be superman gets nowhere near it and the guy's got an open goal to head it into and that's they've been doing that they've been doing that all season potter hasn't hasn't rectified it 
and they're basically in in they're basically a prettier version of um, what Chris Hewton left behind. They've, they've, they're no better. Well, alongside the win down at the Amex earlier in the season, which was our fourth in a row down there, it's uh, three draws in our past three Premier League matches with the Seagulls at St Mary's. Of course, uh, all due respect to Brighton, of course, we must remember that uh, their last win on the road came at Anfield in early February, but everyone wins there these days, don't they? Just finally then, Glenn, before we do our predictions, um, I was going to ask, uh, you probably answered this question earlier, but I'm still going to ask it, Nathan Teller, guaranteed starter for you then for that game? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he's the only one who's sort of come in and played up front when someone's been injured who's taken his chance. I know he hasn't scored yet, but he's looked to he's looked to threat in the uh, in in the the couple of times he's played up there. I know he played left wing against Leeds and he he looked to threat from there as well. So I certainly think he's got he's got two shots of uh, of being in the team. But I, I imagine it will be him and Che Adams up front, and um, it would be it would be a surprise if it wasn't. To be quite honest. Yeah, you kind of want him making their lumps with all due respect to them turn around and running towards their own goal right absolutely yeah and uh, you know he's it's it's not just about being quick it's the fact that he's so positive with it and he seems to know when to do it you know for for a young player he seems to have quite a a mature head on his shoulders and uh, yeah the, the the fact that he doesn't play safe and he's He's that sort of X-factor player, and the, and the other teams won't know too much about him. They'll they'll know he's quick, but you know they'll they'll have only seen the uh, you know the the highlights from the Sheffield United game and the Leeds game. Um, but they're they're by the end of it, they're going to know they they've been in the game, and hopefully he can uh, he can keep that form going. And you know young players they sometimes drop off after a couple of decent games, and uh, hopefully he'll. Um, well, hopefully for us he'll um, he'll carry it on, and and he needs to because we we you know we need to have some sort of goal threat with Danny Ings not being there. All right, well let's uh, do our predictions for the Brighton game then. As I mentioned, Glenn, you went for two 0 for Sheffield United for Saints to win, so well done on that. So the prediction league is now uh, you've extended your lead after the last couple of weeks since we caught up last time about it. So Glenn's on 22, Dan's on 13, I'm on 10, and Steve, there's a bit of work to do down there. You're on six. Uh, Glenn, you can start us for the Brighton game then. What do you reckon? Um, 1-0 Saints 1-0 Saints Dan 2-0 Saints 2-0 Saints uh, Steve uh, let's let's carry this on 3-0 Saints <laughs> 3-0 um, I've got to say I was thinking about this because uh, I've, I've over the last couple of weeks I've sat in pretty much every couch seat in the house trying to bring a bit of luck and uh, changing the game and then in the end just there I nicked one of the kids beanbags and sat in the middle of the living room so I'm definitely going to try that so that's one of my predictions uh, to try and keep that going I doubt I'll watch the City game to be honest with you I'm not sure I can sit through that but obviously I'm going to go 1-0 Brighton and hope that that uh, momentum carries on working Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to Total Saints Podcast. That's it for TSP this week. Thank you for listening. Always a bit easier for you and us when Saints have won a game. Big thanks again to Alec Wise for joining as well. Don't forget, at Saints FC USA on Twitter and or United States of Southampton FC on Facebook if you'd like to give them follow or like. We'll be back again next weekend to go to the heart of all things Saints FC. Until then, let's enjoy the win over Sheffield United and keep marching in. Because we are...
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.